2: Hello,
0: everybody, and welcome to another edition of Wrestleomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on-demand from Buffalo New York. And Today is Sunday, August 28th, 2022. It's, it's been some 20 years since uh, Pride had its Dynamite show. Not AEW Dynamite, Pride Dynamite. With Bob Sapp and Antonio Rodrigo Nogueira. Mirko Crocop, Kazushi Sakuraba. It's been 20 years. But joining me is Chris Gallo and Jesse Collings.
2: Good morning, uh, everybody, and good morning to everyone out there listening and watching us on YouTube. Yes. Um, Jesse's
0: joining us after much demand, um, and I think, I don't know what time we're going to be doing this next week, we were just discussing off air, but uh, I think Jesse's going to be, be with us regularly from now on, right? Yeah, it depends on if my booking fee is met, but yes. Mm-hmm. It depends on, uh, you know, there's, there's been uh, some locker room drama between you and, and Chris Gullo, but I've pulled you both into separate rooms and, uh, I, I've reprimanded you. Uh, no, no suspensions are necessary. Yet, yeah. But, Gullo pulled me aside and said, I think you have a bright future, but I will never put you over. Yeah. <laughs> he heard, he heard you talking about workers' rights and, and was like, you know, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. he
2: got a squash you know?
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, uh. What are we going to talk about today, Chris you want to tell us about that?
2: Yeah, so we're going to talk about has the AEW-WWE momentum shifted, and we're going to kind of break that down in a few different ways. Uh, we're going to discuss ratings, uh, AEW's current relationship with Warner Discovery. Uh, we're going to discuss live attendance, and we're going to break that down with market-to-market attendance analysis and really also discuss what markets maybe are being neglected by by AEW. Um as far as going there, uh, we'll also uh, discuss, uh, like I said, we're going into TV rings with Google trends, YouTube data, and we'll answer the question. What really is the draw? Is it the star? Is it the brand? Or is it something else? Well, some of these points will be brief. Goal is, is doing a good job trying to summarize
0: my uh, erratic slides. Um, but is there anything else you guys want to bring up uh, as we go on? Probably should have asked you out off air, but here we are. <laughs> no, I mean I have some points I think related to the
3: what you've gathered today. I think the talking points this week are pretty clear. Okay. Um.
0: So, I guess we'll, we'll we'll start with my general impression that like it's been. You know, we talked about this last week. We talked this about this a little bit on Thursday for the the audio, the like thirty minute audio that, that Golu and I did for subscribers, in that. My impression is that you know I mean, it's, it's been more gradual. I've been careful about it over time, but I think it's you know, it's only been like a little over a month now since Triple H has been the head of creative, and Vince has been out. But I, I'm starting to see we're seeing at least a month of uh, of W doing better in in ratings. Definitely RAW. It's hard to tell with SmackDown. SmackDown's um, SmackDown is partially preempted because of the NFL regular or the NFL preseason. I think this is, um is the, does the NFL regular season start next week or the week after that? We have one more week of preseason. Uh, pre-season well, no. It's done. Yeah.
2: Pre-season, preseason is, is done. done. <laughs> yeah. So Tuesdays cut days where they have to make the roster, but the opener isn't until not this Thursday, but a Thursday after, which is Bill's Rams. Okay. So the, the, season
0: opener is on Amazon September 8th then
2: uh actually Amazon starts first. week two so Amazon starts uh, week two so who's who's
0: playing who's playing the first regular season of the game
2: I the think it's year? NBC but don't quote me 100% quote me on that yeah okay well anyway um
0: Smackdown is, is harder to read uh I think Dynamite's doing okay but anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get into it if people want to participate Golo, how do they do that
2: yeah, so uh, they can hit, hit the Super Chat button with their question on YouTube and put any dollar amount that you see fit. We will answer those as best as we can throughout the show, but we will answer all the Super Chats.
0: Um, I guess we'll, we'll start with the quarter hours actually first. So the quarter hours for this past Wednesday's AEW Dynamite with the John Moxley and CM Punk match um, peaked at nearly 2 million viewers. The only quarter with 1.1 1. 1 million viewers or greater uh, across the eight quarters of Dynamite more than half a million in the demo. What is a half a million in the demo in terms of a demo rating uh, that, that people are probably more familiar with? So we had 512,000 viewers. Did I say 500 million? 512,000 viewers in the demo divided by 13.5, or 13, 1304.5 is what? That's a point three nine in the demo. 0.39 in the demo is where this peaked. Uh, it averaged 0.34 in the demo. Um, I don't read a ton in, in, into this, other than the obvious that uh, there was peak interest in this three-minute, as it turned out, three-minute world title match between John Moxley and CM Punk uh, grew sequentially sixteen percent quarter to quarter uh, in total viewership, nineteen percent in the demo. Uh, in my magic formulas, uh, it, it definitely qualified as something that uh, would, would have would have made the the list of things that would count in our who's a draw podcast the two quarters prior to it were strong stronger than usual in sequential growth too, or at least retention usually quarter three drops by 10 percent in the demo uh it, it did not dis- despite having a colton gunn versus billy gunn match in it uh but it also had that thunder rosa promo where she announced that announces that she's injured and not going to defend the title of the pay-per-view uh, and the quarter after that grew more than usual in the demo too um, which included what? The the Death Triangle promo, uh, with United Empire, the Kylan King and Britt Baker match, and her post match angle and promo uh, with Tony Storm Rashida. So I would say like these two quarters, QH three and QH four, which were right before the title match, those doing especially good. It's even more impressive that the moxley punk match was able to grow the audience further i would say because you're it's i guess the better your quarters before you do the harder it is for you to do as well in in this sort of analysis so yeah and then the following quarter as expected did lose viewership which included the ricky stark's live promo um that's all i really read into that right off the top but any anything to add there uh, what, what jumps out to me is it looks like from your chart here that the drop-off from quarter five to quarter
3: six, while wow, significant. Seems to be low. Is that lower than it normally is,
0: right, so if I'm the, reading this chart correctly? QTQ, so this is the sequential change mm-hmm. for the given quarter. So QH6, which included the Ricky Starks live promo, that lost 13% of the the demo. It usually loses 6%. So it lost oh, okay. more than All right. usual. All right. So I was reading. No, okay. So I was reading that
3: wrong. Um, yeah. I mean, does that? Does that? What? What is that? Does that really? Can you read anything into that as far as you know? People frustratingly. Ah, oh, I can't believe it was a squash match and clicking yeah. off from 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 what they saw. Or do you think that was to be expected? This number is to be expected from the, the the drop off from a world title,
0: big world title match to the rookie Starks promo. I think, especially in in this era of tv that there's going to be especially when you have something as heavily hyped as this match was this title match was that when it when it's over with you're going to have significant tune out and there was um i don't read anything particularly negative into a decline in viewership here you have a big peak and then after a big peak you have a big big degree of tune out um it's worth mentioning too that so this this QH5 included nothing but the wrestling program's content. QH6 followed it, had two ad breaks in it, uh, which I'm sure contributed to a decline of viewership as well. What do you think about
3: having this match at the 9 o'clock slot? We've seen AEW really likes to experiment with their major matches if they have a really big match. Sometimes they'll do it at the start of the show. Sometimes they'll save it for the main event. This time they're putting it at the nine o'clock slot. Um, What what did you think about that kind of strategy? I thought the way they rolled it out was very interesting because if I recall correctly, if you're watching the show, they really just, you know, Punk and Moxie is coming up and then, you know, Punk and Moxie came out and they had the match and then they had the finish and then they had the little post-match thing and it all happened. There were no commercial breaks. There were no, you know, breakups in in the broadcast. It was all one very smooth, quick, you know, 10 minute segment from, you know, the guys coming out to the guys going to the back. And I, I thought it was all very interesting kind of the strategy of, of not going to commercials and not really hyping up the, the match on the show that much. There was no promo packages before there was no, Uh, guys, you know, you know, backstage promo before, uh, in the eight o'clock hour, it was all very quickly streamlined through in like a 10, 15 minute span. Yeah. I
0: I think I'm guessing maybe part of the strategy is that they thought let's put this big match, which is being hyped as perhaps the biggest match in Dynamite history. Um, let's put that at the top of the hour and then deliver great stuff after that. And this, this spectacular six man tag in the main event. I think that's, I don't know, a worthy strategy. And if you look at the demo and how the demo performed, um, the last two quarters in the demo performed better than any of QH2 through 4. So if, if people are watching on YouTube, that's that's probably clearer to understand, right? Here we have uh, three or 4.38, 4.44 for the last two quarters, and that's doing better than Anything in the first half of the show, except for QH one, which is probably heavily influenced by The Big Bang Theory, leading, which always coincides, almost always coincides with a really strong first quarter hour. Um, so I think that's that's. Fine. In then
3: that, those last two quarters also are were, uh, notably long wrestling match, which, as we've seen throughout AEW's history, when they do put out, uh, you know, a twenty to twenty five plus minute match, we see usually see kind of growth as the match goes on. So it wasn't like they were doing, mm-hmm. um, you know, the woman's match. And then the main event, it was that, that last half hour of those last two quarters is essentially one match. Yeah.
0: Uh, a, a rare dynamite where a women's match does not uh, inhabit QH six or QH seven. Yeah. The, the Britt Baker versus Kylie King match was in QH four. Um, but yeah, I, I, th- I think AEW has a belief that the long matches, are good at sustaining or maybe even growing viewership, and I, I see that in quarter hours. I rarely see minute-by-minute minute data, but I see that in quarter hours. I think if you go back and look at even the the Iron Man, the 30-minute Iron Man match between Kenny Omega and Pac, you would see, even despite the audience knowing that this is going to be a 30-minute match, that that retained the viewership quite well, as a, as opposed to, like, we'd have to go back and look at old observers, but I, I want to say the quarter hours that the Observer reported in the Iron Man match from two thousand. or was it 2000 no it has to be 2003 between Angle and Brock Lesnar on Smackdown in September 2003 I think that that had a big tune in for the beginning of the match 60 minutes later big tune in for the end of the match and a lot of loss in between Um, but in this era a lot of long matches including this was definitely not a long match this title match but you're talking about the six man main event which went across two quarters Um, but the Blood and Guts match which was very long, it was nearly an hour Uh, that retained viewership pretty well. Um, And we've seen other matches like like the CM Punk and MJF match that was quite long. Obviously, there's been the Danielson match, the 30 minutes uh, with Omega, the 60 minutes with Paige, the about 30 minutes, and the rematch, I believe, with with Paige. All of those... We saw it the previous week with the Daniel Garcia-Brian Danielson match. Yeah, true. Yeah, So... I don't know. More more long matches on TV or I I wouldn't hesitate to put a long match on T
2: V. Um Good question about that, the you know, obviously this this model works for Dynamite. Why don't they really do it for Rampage? I mean, I know they only get an hour, but would they maybe really successful at doing one really long match on Rampage every Friday to kind of keep that audience? Because we see it just it's already I, low I, as you know.
0: I wouldn't be opposed to that. I think uh <laughs> Rampage I think there's just so much stuff that that AEW wants to book and jam into the show that they, you know, you have an extra hour and, and a lot of stuff, uh, you know, gets jammed in there rather than focusing on fewer things.
3: Yeah, Rampage I just guess. feels like an overflow show in a lot of ways, in the sense that it's stuff that they want to get to, but they don't have time on Dynamite for it. That's why I feel like it's been a kind of a home for a lot of the Ring of Honor stuff because. They don't really have time to get to it on Dynamite, but it's kind of like this extra time. It's where they, you see them, you know, it's where like they've they've put a hook on Rampage a lot. I feel like it's kind of a place where they almost park some of their longer term projects and things like that because Dynamite's such a tight, Scheduling, they just kind of they'd rather have like four matches on rampage but i think that's a good point gullo i think like especially because the way rampage trends is usually it starts off and then declines greatly as the show goes on if you were to start rampage with like a 30 minute match i think that would probably prove to be perhaps more productive in maintaining that audience from the start as opposed to just kind of slowly whittling them down throughout the four or five matches that you have kind of speed running through the hour
2: i mean the uh the rampage that we attended in Rochester, it wasn't a 30 minute match, but Kingston, uh, and Gansugi, uh, uh, how is a always, uh, Kanosuke, always t- yeah, Takasha. Yeah. yeah. Always was for, uh, that had me interested way more than the rest of the show, which was a lot of six to eight minute matches gone, gone, gone. I think that went twelve, ten 10 to 12, two segments, if I remember, but
0: yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's a headwind, Anyway, when you're at 10 o'clock, starting at 10 o'clock and getting later into the night. But yeah, maybe a, a longer match on Rampage isn't a bad idea. Um, so, anyway, again, they're super chats. Um, but we have an update on the relationship between Warner Brothers Discovery and AEW. Uh, this report is coming from Flightful from Will Washington, uh, who reported, I believe this came out on Thursday or Friday. Uh, He writes, A source inside Warner Brothers Discovery talked to us briefly about their current relationship with AEW and noted that while they still have a significant amount of time left on their contract, AEW programming in its current form, quote, makes no negative waves, end quote, and overall holds up their end of the deal quite well, particularly when it comes to ratings performance. The rest comes over newsletter on that day, noted that word had come from Warner Brothers Discovery that they'd like the language toned down. It's so a report from the Observer. So, must have been Friday. Uh, the story goes on. AEW tells us that they believe this was a, quote, taken out of context from the all-talent meeting on Wednesday regarding promos and talent going into business for themselves. The point was to stress that they could get network heat if they, quote, fly too close to the sun, end quote, but we're told this was not an edict from the network. Uh... So this, this flies in the face of, of some speculation and rumor that may, maybe AEW is going to get cut to one hour. Uh, the network must not be happy with AEW. Um, at least according to this report from Fightful, uh, that's that's not the case. Uh, and, and I've been told that AEW is trying to be proactive about language on the TV show. It's not something that the network has told them that they, they need to crack down on. Uh, so... A good question that I, you know, we need to start thinking about. That comes to mind from the the line in this report about how they still have a significant amount of time left on their contract. Uh, AW has an option year that, if it's picked up at the option of Warner Brothers Discovery, would take their contract until the end of twenty twenty four. I guess you could be saying. In the event that they, they would not pick up the, the the option, still have over a year left, but uh, I wonder if that option's already been picked up. But but any any thoughts on this report uh, coming from Fightful that you know everything's fine between WBD and AW? It's so hard to
3: parse this out. Like the the report, right? That it, you know, dynamite is going to be cut down to one
0: hour. Was, I don't think anybody's reporting that. Right. I think that's simply well, speculation. Well, the rumor and, that was going around and, and, and the doom, kind of
3: bad, the, the thing. kind of like the bad faith trolling that comes with yeah. that and kind of unfortunately gives it air, oxygen. I don't think anyone seriously ever thought that Warner Brothers is um, unhappy with Dynamite's performance. I could see maybe they might be unhappy with some other things that are happening in the in the organization, but... The concept of, like, they're going to get rid of their highest rated show that's not the NBA, basically, and not playoff hockey. Uh, and they'd be they'd be frustrated by it. They're going to cut it down to an hour. It just doesn't make any real logical sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what's really interesting, Brandon, is I'm sorry to spring this on you, but I was listening to an episode of The Town with Matt Bellany. Mm-hmm. Um, this was from the August 11th episode he was talking to a woman named jessica elrich who's an analyst uh, of bna securities just like uh talking a lot about the streaming wars and kind of what's happening with the various big streamers and they were talking about warner brothers discovery and they said that a lot of warner warner brothers discovery moves especially the moves that we've discussed over the last few plus month or so here have been different than the other Their rival major media companies that own streaming services, which is Warner Brothers Discovery has become much more kind of like cash oriented in the sense that they are consistently they're trying to get paid for their content now. And they're not doing as many proactive moves uh, that a lot of the other companies have been doing to kind of use, you know, pay for things that are going to be loss leaders to help buoy things like your fledgling streaming service, right? They're taking movies and they are either canceling them or they're putting them in theaters only. They're not putting them on HBO max. They're really being progressive in the sense that they just want to get paid for the projects that they're doing. They're not making these kind of long-term game investments. And a lot of that is because they have a lot of debt to pay off, but a lot of it is because this is the situation that they found themselves in as opposed when it comes to this merger and they're not going to be like a Disney plus or, um, uh, you know, I guess Disney Plus would be the perfect example of kind of things like we're not going to release this movie in theaters. It's going to be a Disney Plus project. It will make less money, but we want to get Disney Plus going further. And, um, P- you know, Peacock obviously is doing a similar model. So I just found that kind of interesting as far as Warner Brothers Discovery's position on a lot of their future moves and how AEW fits into that move. Is that something that they're going to be willing to invest in? Um I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how it fits in, but I just found the discussion very interesting.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yes. Oh, go ahead. No, I was, I mean, uh, Jesse, I I think there is not a lot of investing on there. And I think the proactiveness that maybe Tony Khan, AEW are trying to do is because I can't see now in this world, any AEW properties going on the streaming devices of discovery plus, or what's left of HBO max for the next year. I just can't see it happening. So I think Tony kind of tried to be proactive to think that there might be a glimmer of hope of that happening, you know, keep the relationship good. But um, they're taking a lot of properties off HBO Max that you would think is unnecessary. I think, and I said it on here a couple weeks ago, I think they're going to sell the DC Comics properties, which will be a huge, huge deal. Um, I just think it's a company that doesn't want anything that's not in their model of the, the Magnolia Network type television shows. You know they're not going to put on those streaming services, but I think twenty thinks are still a chance
0: yeah I, I would say the language may have as much or more to do with advertisers and sponsors as as the network um, yeah it, we're seeing these big media companies, whether it's the traditional Broadcast networks, or the major streamers, or the major tech companies that are getting into streaming, like Amazon and Apple, all have different strategies and different situations that they're in. Um, people have looked at Netflix and look at all the money that Netflix has poured into content and how that paid off for them. Now, they, they've ended up with their subscribers flatlining, you know, plateauing out earlier. Than their stock market, than their stock price had indicated uh, about a year ago, right? Their stock price is way down from where it was. But everybody saw that. A lot of people, including Comcast and NBCU, saw that strategy, and Disney saw that strategy. And they, they're dumping and have dumped and will dump a lot of money, billions of dollars, into producing their own content because the cable bundle is declining. And apparently streaming is the future and streaming is now probably over invested in. And the moment that, that Netflix uh, failed to report a quarter with sequential growth in their subscribers, it was sort of this wake up moment. Um, and Fox is now looking great in terms of being th- the one big media company of this group that has not invested much of anything in, in, streaming with the exception of Tubi. According to Chris Gullo, that's the future home of W's next, next day rights remains to be seen though. Um, but Fox looks smart in terms of they're they're not dumping all this money in, into a service that who knows when or if it will ever really pay off. Um, and and as you, as Jesse mentioned, there's a lot of debt coming from this merger of Warner Warner Media and Discovery. And I think certainly the the CFO of Warner Brothers Discovery, Gunner Widenfelt, uh, is critical of the Warner Media uh, financial strategy that he inherited. And I think they they want to invest in in fewer more popular and more lucrative properties fewer rather than a lot rather than being peacock and dumping billions of dollars into lots and lots of stuff very few things and making smart investments i think is their something along the lines of their thinking so fewer the most popular stuff does aw fall into that maybe because it is It is uh, 52 weeks a year, and it often ranks number one in 18 to 49 in the demo. Uh, It does fairly well. Uh, We're probably going to get into WWE improving in some ways uh, economically lately. Uh, That doesn't mean that AEW is disimproving, only that it's sort of staying where it is. But... um, We'll see what happens. And ultimately, whether AW gets an increase or not will depend on how interested other players, like perhaps Fox, maybe NBCU, maybe Disney, maybe major streaming players, maybe smaller streaming players, how interested those companies are in, in AW's variety of rights that they might be able to offer, including live Dynamite, including live Rampage, including Next Day that has no, 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 you know, no home right now for Dynamite and Rampage. Moving on. Um, put our slides back on the screen here. Um, so, I wanted to talk about. I feel free to to, uh, to debate me here. That I'm seeing a number of different ways uh, that WB is showing that it has positive momentum, and I'm seeing this. Uh, in ways that are different from the ways in which I've heard other people talk about how AW or WWE has po- positive momentum. So first of all, um, I want to look at the live attendance, live event attendance. This is data from WrestleTix. Uh, and let's focus on SmackDown and Raw and in contrast to Dynamite because I think that's the fairest comparison. Uh, house shows that I've heard some people talk about, house shows being up, are not up in Q3 so far, according to WrestleTix tickets distributed, house shows are averaging about 3,800, 3,800 on average at the house shows in Q3. We're about two-thirds of the way through Q3, two out of the three months. 3,800 tickets out is the average for house shows, uh, which is down, it's, it's been down every quarter. Since the return to touring, it was way up to 6,900 in in the return to touring last year, Q3, then it went down to 4,900, then it went down to 4,300, then it went down to 4,000 even, and now it's down to 3,800. So house shows continue to kind of diminish. However, Raw and SmackDown in this quarter so far are up over the prior quarter and in fact are at their highest point since the Q3 of last year, which had a massive tailwind from the return to touring, from the so-called pent-up demand of people not being able to go to live events for the prior year and a half or whatever it was. Um, so Raw and SmackDown, uh, SmackDown is averaging in Q3 8,500 tickets distributed. That's up from 7,000 in the last couple quarters just for SmackDown. For Raw, Raw is up to about 9,600. 9,600. That's up from in the high 6,000s last two quarters uh meanwhile dynamite is down to about averaging five thousand, which is where it was in q1 but it was doing better in q2 with 6300 um but you can if you go to the next slide we can see the trend a little bit close more closely here where you know for these three quarters in between smackdown and raw uh are lower and in the the q3 of last year the q3 of this year Raw and SmackDown are both up. In fact, Raw is Raw is somehow averaging higher. Is that Is that reflected in the other table? Yes. Raw is somehow averaging a higher average right now in Q3 of this year than in the return to touring Q3, which I hadn't realized until right this moment. Um, so live attendance is up. Um, anything to add there before we 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 we, we do some geography? Um, I'll have a broader
3: point. I'll bring it up when you talk. We're talking your over year ratings. Um, but I think Dynamite, to me, seems to have a lot of really – and we're, we're seeing this, I guess, now with some of these really big WWE shows that have popped up over the last few weeks for, for both Raw and SmackDown. Dynamite always seems – especially because its history is um, less uh, – we have less of it than WWE – Seems to have a their show seems to have quite a bit of fluctuation between where they're going to be. I think they have kind of a standard like forty five hundred to five thousand attendance crowd when they are kind of run. I think that's like their average that they pretty much hover around, regardless of where they are. And then they'll have when they're in a big market for the first time, they'll have these really big shows that do nine to eleven thousand people. We've seen them do those kind of big crowds in Detroit and do the big crowds in New York at the, you know, the Newark, New Jersey show and the, the grand slam show and the Los Angeles show. And when they make their debuts in some of these mar- new markets, they send to draw very, very well. And that's kind of a really big fluctuation. That I think, I don't know if it's a big enough sample size to kind of explain some of these dynamite numbers in Q3. I think if, especially over the past month or so dynamite, hasn't really been in, what I would consider marquee markets. I'm just kind of looking through their last few months. These aren't necessarily running. I mean, they were in Cleveland this week. I'd consider that a good market, not a giant market. Before that, they were in Charleston, West Virginia, which is a small market. Um, They're in Minneapolis the week before that. Again, a good market, but not one of the largest markets in the country. Um, Columbus, Ohio, similar. Uh, Worcester, Massachusetts, I have my own thoughts on running Worcester. Um, Duluth, Georgia, small market, Savannah, Georgia, small market, I guess Duluth's technically Atlanta, but it's not really Atlanta, you know, Rochester, New York, to me, it's not, I don't know if that's enough like fluctuation to kind of explain it, but they have not been running in the past few months. Really? Like I would consider like their major markets, which are New York and Chicago, um, or Los Angeles, some of the markets where I think they would draw better, but.
0: Um, so if we look at the, the cities that AW has been to, as opposed to the cities that WWE has been to, obviously W runs way more events and they run house shows and they run two weekly TV shows every week. Dynamite runs one show most weeks. Um, But if we look at, uh, here's a map of, uh, for people watching on YouTube, here's a map of the major cities by population. The bigger your bubble is here, the bigger your population is, just to give you an idea of where are the populated areas in the United States. Um, And then if we look at where WWE has been, that looks pretty similar, right, to what the big cities are. It seems like WWE, again, with its many more shows, has covered a lot more territory than, say, AEW here with fewer shows, but still AEW as far as the West Coast has not been, and I, I didn't label this, but has not been to Denver yet, I guess. Is that right? Has not been to Denver. I'm, and I'm, I'm only talking since July, 2021. I think they might. Have been yeah, to yeah, I think
3: they have been to Colorado. It's, it's not Denver. I forget the name of the city that they were in. I don't know if it was but, Lakewood, maybe, but, but probably close to Denver. Yeah, they ran distance. a show. They did. They definitely have run a show in in Denver before. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I know they ran in Salt Lake City, but that was before. You're muted,
2: Gullo. I was gonna say, yeah, I think that was right before the pandemic that they did Denver. But
3: yeah, because they did Salt Lake City. I think Salt Lake City might have been the last one they yes,
2: ran. It was.
3: before
0: the pandemic.
2: Um Oklahoma City is a big market that they have not gone to. That's a I mean, huge population. draw
0: Jim Ross there. Sell I mean, some tickets.
2: You know, but we t- we talked. I mean, the West Coast, I get logistically the time, but Portland and Seattle you would think would be slam dunks for them to go to. And the fact that they haven't makes no sense, especially with the talent that they have from there too.
0: Yeah. Phoenix is another major town they haven't been to. They haven't been to the Bay Area, which includes San Jose, san francisco oakland uh haven't been to san diego yet uh sacramento would not be in the same market as as the bay area is that right no
1: yeah
3: no those would be different the the bay the sacramento people and the bay area people would get mad at you i think it's just
0: apologies apologies i'll try i'll try to to work on that uh i also have salt lake city labeled again they were there pre-pandemic but since the last year have not been there yet and we also have tucson i think tucson and, and phoenix are in different markets right don't know that much about Southern Arizona. I would say that yes, they are different, mm-hmm. and uh, even Tampa. I found uh, they've been to some places that are maybe uh, like within a two-hour drive. I think Estero was was within a two-hour drive of Tampa, but nothing closer than that. Uh, so there's all those things.
3: Well, they've been in um, Orlando,
0: which I think is close
3: to Tampa. I think that's within ninety minutes. But
2: okay, how much does arena size play into this? Like where that maybe there is a hesitant of going to some of these big are- cities cause they only have the big major league arenas. So they go to the little bit of the smaller cities because they have the college arenas, which is what they normally target though mm-hmm. for the, the logistics as far as uh, seating.
0: Yeah. I don't know. That, that's a good question there. There may be issues just finding venues. I don't know. I have a bunch of different theories on AWS
3: touring. Um, the first one I have is similar to what Gallo just said, which is that they some of these other cities do not have big arenas um, or maybe only have one big arena that they can't get into for whatever reason. Most of it, A lot of people would speculate that that's WWE stamping them out of the arena. I think you can look to certain arenas and say, hmm, it's kind of suspicious they haven't been there. WWE runs in that building a lot, so perhaps that's why they haven't been there. That's one reason. I've heard the idea that since I believe AW is a Jacksonville related company just logistically it might be more difficult for them to get their ring crew and everything they need from Jacksonville to Seattle and okay you could draw a bigger house in Seattle but at some point is it more cost is it better for a cost perspective to keep running more on the east coast and on the midwest than it is to drive all the way across the other corner of the country Um, I also sometimes think that Tony Khan knows that the first show he has in some of these bigger markets is going to be a really big deal. We've seen that in Los Angeles. We've seen that in Detroit. We've seen that in New York. Um, And maybe he's keeping some of those markets for the big debut and trying to space those out uh, over time so they're not all just bundled up one at you know one after another i think it was notable that they like kind of went to los angeles and everyone was like oh and they're in los angeles that means they're going to do you know san francisco the next week and then they'll go to portland and then they'll go to seattle and it was nope we're going back east so i think all of those could be some form of a factor that kind of explains why aew is kind of not hit some of these major markets when you would think from any planning perspective you'd want
2: to get into them um to add on that, oh so sorry, uh Brandon. I was I was thinking, this of add, course
0: is only the US. Um not including Canada. That's a separate that's a separate issue. I think they UK. should be all over Canada. Yeah. But Toronto did sell out uh those tickets that went on sale this past week, at least for one of the shows, if not. I know they're doing Rampage and a Dynamite, but I believe the dynamite is sold out. Go ahead, Gull.
2: Well, if you notice a lot of these markets are in clusters, right? And uh to kinda add to what Jesse was saying with the you know, with the logistics with ring crew and production and all that also too, their talent only works once a week. Right. So it's not like they could have a built in live touring schedule like WWE does where it's like, Hey, we're going to do Portland, but then we're going to do Montana, Idaho, all that getting us to San Jose a week later. Like there isn't that type of touring where, you know, these talents, they fly in on Tuesday, they do their show Wednesday, they fly out on Thursday and they're not back again till Tuesday. And wherever they're flying from, maybe it's just they want their talent to be happy and not have that type of, hey, you've got to stay in the Pacific Northwest for a week for this to work.
0: (laughs) It it probably makes everything more expensive. Um, But AEW has been to uh, a number of areas multiple times. I've got uh, Hoffman Estates and Chicago separated here. Hoffman Estates, as I'm considering going to Chicago next week, uh, is I would say it's in the Chicago market, but it is way out of the way. Uh, this is where the Now Arena is. This is where the the all-in pay-per-view was also in 2018. Uh, they have done, since the return to touring, I think this is correct, they've done five shows in Hoffman Estates. They've done, or they're going to do, this is, includes the shows that are coming up next week. Five shows in Hoffman Estates. Five shows in Chicago, elsewhere. Ten shows in the Chicago market in the last year. I want to double check that. That's, that sounds so high. But anyway, they've done four in Washington, D- Washington, D.C., three in Pittsburgh, three in Philadelphia, three in Orlando, three in Minneapolis, three in Miami, three in Las Vegas, three in Jacksonville, three in Garland. Garland is near Austin or Dallas. And they have Garland that is uh, near one of those, and they have another suburb that's near the other one. Um, and they've been to, to other markets twice. That, that people can see on the screen. Um, so they've been to a lot of the same markets over and over again. And, and one thing I learned from um, studying John Cena several years ago is that the it's you know people fairly bring up when you talk about attendance, attendances and you talk about differences in attendances over time. Let's say from from this quarter to to the last quarter. Uh, well, what's the difference in the market mix? Maybe they were just going, you know, attendance is up in this quarter. Well, maybe they're just going to bigger, bigger markets. Maybe they're going to New York and L.A. and Chicago in this quarter, and you're comparing uh, the, the other quarter where they went to Sioux, Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and Anchorage, Alaska or something. Um, and so I think the fairest way to look at this stuff is it's hard to get to, to get examples of this, but you want to get the same type of events when it comes to wrestling. So it's a TV taping. Compare a TV taping to a TV taping and compare it in the same market. So we do have 12 examples since the return to touring where AEW has done a dynamite taping. It's not a pay-per-view, not a Rampage or a Battle of the Belts only, but a dynamite taping in the same market more than once. And that is Boston, Chicago, Duluth, Georgia, Houston, Independence, which is near St. Louis, Jacksonville, Long Island, Milwaukee, Newark, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and Rochester. 12 markets where they've gone to to do dynamite at least twice, in some cases three times, in the case of Chicago, in the case of Jacksonville. I believe I've merged Chicago and Hoffman Estates here. Um, Anyway, 12 times, four of those cases, they drew better later than they did earlier. I'm determining this by calculating a slope if people are interested in the math here. Uh, But four out of the 12, that's one-third. If we compare that to WWE, and now I, did, I remember mentioning a couple weeks ago that we're coming up on the, on Q3, we're coming up on the time that there's a return to touring, we can start making comparisons about live event attendance year over year. So that's AW's market-to-market performance in this year. How's WWE doing? So let's just look at the Raws and SmackDowns. Group the Raws and SmackDowns together, assuming they're equal. You could argue that Friday is a better night. It could be. Um, but we have I won't name them all because there's 34 of them. People can see what they are on the screen if they're watching on YouTube. Uh, But there's 34 markets where WWE has done a Raw and or a SmackDown more than once. And out of those 34 markets, in 16 of them, nearly half in 16 of them, they have drawn better later than they did earlier. Um, in, in, In many cases, they have drawn better later than they did in that, return to touring quarter, which I found surprising. Uh, does this mean that WWE is doing better than it was, um, I don't know, at some some point in recent history?
3: I mean, I think so. I think the last, I might be wrong, but it seems to me like the last two months of WWE, the company has garnered more positive momentum and feels like more of a a, a positive trend than in in quite a few number of years. Uh, It feels like, and part of that is just a, um, like a narrative change. I think that's mainly the main reason is that now I think people genuinely feel optimistic that the product is going to improve if it has not improved already. And that is getting a lot of people back out, either watching the show on a weekly basis or attending shows live As you see, a lot of those Q3 numbers compared to, you know, either earlier this year, Q1 or the, you know, 2021 have been doing quite well. And I mean, if you just see used to be, you know, the, the 2022 quarter one, you know, dynamite was drawing better than raw on average attendance and that seems almost really hard to believe now because Raw is doing I mean Raw in Toronto did what fourteen thousand people on Monday night? Uh so it's, About it's, that, it's I believe so, yeah. It's double what it you know, what it has been. So I it just it definitely seems to me just that they're definitely distributing more tickets, is what I'll say.
0: I, I think Dynam Dynamite outdid Raw and maybe even SmackDown, certainly in September of last year, which is this incredibly hot period. It, 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 I've realized that in hindsight for AEW, and I think there's a month we're looking at quarterly averages here, but I think there's a month in early 2022 where Dynamite outdid Raw and or SmackDown for tickets distributed according to the WrestleTix data. By the way, I'm getting all of this data from, from WrestleTix. Um, so that's live attendance. I see momentum here in, in the sequential analysis of, of WWE's live attendance. I'm seeing a positive trend in the in the more fair market to market. You could say, well, maybe they're just up in Q three versus, versus some other times because of different markets. Well, market to market, they're looking well at least better than than AW's looking.
3: Yeah, and I, well, I do think that that needs to be some perspective put in the sense that. There seem to be realistically, if you look at this without uh, AEW comparison, Raw and SmackDown seems to be pretty flat, right? They're about they're positive in about the same amount of markets as they are negative. It seems to be almost a wash between some markets are up and some markets are down. We can compare it to AEW and say, well, they're doing better than AEW, but AEW is also coming off of in a lot of instances the debuts in these markets, which have which always seem to drop better than the return um, because you're not going to be able to get all the fans back that you got for your debut um in wwe we're talking about decades and decades of them running in these markets and the fluctuation that comes from that uh and, ha- and is that a real fair comparison when we're talking about maybe only one or two previous shows in the aw market um well how about this
0: well, if we look at just q3 which is our current quarter which is not yet complete right we have 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 markets that they're returning to for TV 11 so boston is slightly up from a year ago cleveland is down houston is down where where they well they're they're up from the Q4 when they were there in Q4 they're not up from the Q3 of last year, which is where they I believe they did the first Raw, I want to say or maybe the first SmackDown on the return to touring in Houston Um, New York is Madison Square Garden, it's slightly up Um, Orlando is slightly up, Phoenix is down, again that's a return to touring, Raleigh is up Uh, San Antonio is up from Q4 San Diego is down, Tampa is slightly up and many of those comparisons are against Q3 of last year, which you would think would have a tailwind from the return to touring, this Q3 not having that tailwind. Um, so, there's that. Um, we can talk about TV ratings, too. There is, this is still the case, as it was on Wednesday. Yeah, because there's been no new no, no TV ratings since Wednesday. There's only one TV show in, in August, and uh, August will have one more Raw in it. Yeah, it'll have one more Raw and one more Dynamite in it, and one more NXT. But there's only one TV show among all the, the nationally televised wrestling TV shows. I, I did exclude Impact here, but this is also uh, this also applies for Impact. Um, there's only one TV show that is up both in total viewership and in the demo year-over-year. Year. Uh, and There's really only one, one show, in fact, that's up in the demo year-over-year year in August, and that's Raw. Uh, which is up 3% in the demo, up 7% in total viewership. Impact is also up, I believe, in total viewership year-over-year, but not in the demo. Um, everybody else is at least a little bit down. SmackDown is down by 2%. Some of that, well, I guess it's, it is comparing. SmackDown is still being compared against the August, in which it also had to go against NFL preseason, so maybe that's kind of a fair comparison. Um, but, but Dynamite is down from August, when that was starting to get become a pretty hot period for, for Dynamite, which by this time last year, CM Punk was back. We were in the first week of CM Punk being back, Uh, but Raw doing pretty well and doing better than it was last year. Um, Raw did an enormous rating right after SummerSlam, uh, and it's not as high as that in episodes following it, but it's holding up better than I would expect in a in a normal situation uh, if there weren't uh, other things that may be affecting the rating, perhaps including uh, a new head of creative. And not just the curiosity about that new story, but about the actual, you know, maybe the content is just better uh, also.
3: I wanted to ask you, I thought about this when I looked at the live attendance numbers and also when I look at the television ratings, but so the last few years, SmackDown has taken the mantle of being a show from Raw. WWE clearly is more invested in SmackDown than they are in Raw, despite Raw being the historical flagship show and Raw having you know, a very lucrative television deal, technically more lucrative than SmackDown's deal, but since SmackDown is on Fox... So, you know, SmackDown is clearly the favorite show. It's where Roman Reigns is. It's where the world titles seem to sit and never move. Um, and so SmackDown is the A show for WWE. That being said, it seems to me the trend that we see, and obviously it's maybe a little hard to, to parse with SmackDown's television numbers in August because, like you said, the, the preseason has been preempted. But Raw seems to be the big beneficiary from this kind of shake-up in organizational leadership that we've seen. It seems like Raw is benefiting a lot, both in live attendance and in ratings. And they're Raw's pretty competitive with SmackDown in both 18 to 49 and in total viewers, for the most part, which really shouldn't be the case when you consider the, the, the strength of Fox relative and the number of homes Fox is in relative to a cable station like USA Network. And I was thinking about that, and I was wondering... Um, Despite the fact that WWE has kind of put all this effort into making SmackDown their A show, Raw still seems to have the cachet as being the most important show to watch if you're a WWE fan, especially if you're perhaps a lapsed fan who has not been watching over the last few years and have decided to tune back in more regularly now that you found out that Triple H is in charge. And obviously, if you're that kind of fan, you're going to watch Raw because in your, in your mind, Raw is still the A show, even if, if you've been following closely over the last few years, it's clear that SmackDown
0: is the A show. And uh, Raw, Raw doesn't have it has, it has had Roman Reigns on a few times, right? But Raw has not had Roman Reigns on for the most part. He's f- mostly on SmackDown, right? Right, and Brock Lesnar and like these, you know, your
3: SmackDown has gotten the the big Ronda Rousey, whatever your big stars are. You have SmackDown is the favored show. It's what Raw used to be, um, and that's been the case over the last few years. But yet. I think if you were to survey a lot of fans, Raw still holds that kind of cachet as um, the the A show, and you can see as as Brandon has this chart right here that shows that since the kind of regime change and the Vince scandal and whatever you want to talk about, Raw has really caught up to to SmackDown. And is about level with them in total viewers over the last two months.
2: How much of it is it convenience of day too? Like you know, uh, obviously SmackDown has a network platform but it's still friday and friday. i think friday is such a it's such a rough day um if you but that's
0: look, been that's been the case since october 2019 though that's not changed no look, I, look look at look back in history and then smackdown's been decisively ahead
2: but now like that casual, the product is getting better yeah and, casual and like, or lapsed yeah.
0: fans might be more likely to watch
3: raw right than smackdown yeah. like um i think in that in some regards like gullo said like because if you're if you're like a lapsed fan you're maybe not clearing out your friday night to watch smackdown but you're more likely to be home watch raw
2: yeah i mean that's what i've been doing honestly like since the triple h has taken over i have caught myself watching raw every monday at least part of it if not all of it i still haven't watched a smackdown yet
3: because it's on friday right Yep. yeah you have a busy successful life Gullo. <laughs> <laughs> the uh the um uh attendant it, in, in to the to Gullo's point also like the attendance to me almost like Suggest that because the attendance also, I don't know if you can go back to the uh, the, the quarterly attendance things. But if you look at um, Raw's attendance in this quarter is bigger than SmackDown's. Uh, so if we look at Q3, Raw is at looks like 9, 95, 65, 95, 65, 9,600. 9, yeah, yeah 9,600. SmackDown's at 8,500. So Raw's drawing better than SmackDown. Now, maybe Raw has been in maybe a few bigger markets and better buildings or whatever. But that really shouldn't be the case because, as we know, Raw is, is on Monday nights and SmackDown is on Friday nights. And typically, if you're a live uh, entertainment, it's better to draw on a Friday night, a weekend night, than on a weekday night like Raw is. So while SmackDown might have uh, be at a disadvantage when it comes to viewership because it is on a, a Friday night as opposed to a Monday night, it should have an advantage in live attendance. And yet Raw is still you know, was considerably ahead of them this week or this last quarter, um, and I think that's also kind of notable. I think RAW is seeing a big rebound, and maybe SmackDown is is more of leveled off. Um,
0: yeah, I uh, just want to quickly look at year over year comparisons here too, where you can see Dynamite. And this is, we're only going to look at the demo here. Dynamite is basically on par with where it was in 2020. So if we think about 2020, that's still the Monday Night War. Or I'm sorry, the Wednesday night war. That ended in April 2021. So the demo, now you've got to consider that it's harder to maintain viewership over time and uh the number of homes that TNT or TBS is in. This should say TNT slash TBS. But uh Dynamite is about where it was in 2020. It is below in the blue line here where it was in 2021. Uh Rampage is well below where it was last year. This enormous spike here is the CM Punk episode. Uh, but it's even if we just look at year to date, so this is at the very beginning of this green line, this is the beginning of the year and it's, it's clearly it's a, it's a negative trend going downward, uh, maybe flattening here in the last 10 weeks or so. Um, SmackDown is about where it was in 2020. In some weeks, it's comparable to to last year in the return to touring where where ratings did, you know, my read of the ratings last year was, yes, SmackDown and and Raw held up in the ratings a lot better than I expected them to. I I thought there might be a couple weeks of uh, increased interest, but it really sustained longer than I expected it to. Um, I got stuff in the way of my Raw chart. Um, Raw is remarkably similar across this year and the prior two years in the demo uh the green line is in some cases above either 2021 or 2020 the green line is 2022 so very comparable viewership it's almost as if cord cutting isn't happening if you only look at the raw uh trend lines here after to be clear years and years of year-over-year declines for raw for the most part there's like a couple years in there where they didn't decline strongly uh but for the most part annual declines for raw um NXT, we see a little bit of a positive trend here for the last several weeks of NXT, but obviously still doing well below for the most part, with some exceptions, doing well below where it has been in the last two years, Uh, despite um, not having to go against AEW, which again ended in April 2021. Um, And I think this, this chart really tells a lot to me about what the momentum is in major professional wrestling. This is, what's the margin of difference in the demo between Dynamite in the same week as Raw and SmackDown? And over time, that margin lead, it's it's clearly, it's well above, you know, Raw and SmackDown are well above where Dynamite is. Almost always, there's like two weeks in history so far, which were both last year, September, where Dynamite barely edged out, live same day, Raw, in the same week. Just barely, uh, but this tr- this margin for Raw and SmackDown over Dynamite has got was started out pretty big, and then over time has shrunk. Some of that coincides with Dynamite not going against NXT anymore. That helped, and it's not been a it's not a straight line down to the right. There've been bumps in this. Uh, there's there have been times, uh, like in in fact, you know, I guess this is September twenty twenty. Uh, would, would that be, I guess, the beginning of the Thunderdome era where Raw and SmackDown kind of increased their margin momentarily before it flattened out and then declined further, uh, which that decline really started in about April 2021, which is when the Wednesday Night War came to an end. Dynamo was no longer opposed by NXT, and Dynamite shrunk that margin between itself and Raw and SmackDown. And then it's been pretty flat throughout uh, this year and late last year. And ever since what looks to be about June or so, summer and forward, that, uh, that margin for Raw and SmackDown has grown. So Raw and SmackDown are slightly extending their lead. And it's a trend. Uh, this is the lines that people are looking at here on YouTube. This is the 10-week moving average. So that, that's what this line is. And that, that line is going up for Raw and SmackDown. Raw and SmackDown are improving their lead over Dynamite. So that, I, that tells me, I think that's a good summary of what's happening here. And is, is it meaningful or not? Or to what degree it is meaningful? Time will tell. But this feels real to me. Um... And let's, let's briefly look at Google Trends. I just did this sort of for the sake of doing it, just to, to fully investigate and cover all bases here. But I don't see that much that's really meaningful here in Google Trends. W is well ahead of, of AEW by about four times, I believe, is, is the, the factor here between W and AEW. Um, the long course of time here from 2014 and forward, uh, particularly from 2016 and forward, is it down to the right trend for WE? that is flattening out. By the way, why do we care about Google Trends? This is Google web search. It often does coincide with other consumer driven metrics that actually have to do with people spending money, um, including ticket sales, sometimes TV ratings, uh, merchandise sales, and things like that. Uh, pay-per-view buys it has actually- Are these, you know, are these worldwide trends? This is worldwide that we're okay. looking at, yes. Um, Dynamite has grown from its inception. Through the the debut of CM Punk and is uh, a lot of uh, volatility here, I would say, but not much to draw. Uh, is is WWE's improvement perhaps in popularity of late is that have something to do with Roman Reigns and how strongly Roman Reigns is being booked? Um, Roman Reigns web search trends have a lot of I would I would say they coincide quite a bit with just what WWE is doing. Um, I think I see, I see that with most everybody, like individual stars. Their web search tends to be up or down. Their, their web search tends to be better in 2015, 2016 than it was in, in years later when just the web search for WD in general declined. Um, but we see you know big spikes around the time that he's making his, his announcements about you know, dealing with cancer and things like that. Um, but we see, I don't know, we might see a slight positive trend here. Uh, and I think if, if, if I zoom in, I do see, I could draw... Uh, a positive trend line right here for 2021 and forward which is roughly since he's since he returned from his sabbatical uh early on in the pandemic and also coincides with things like the peacock deal right and maybe more people watching
3: your wwe pay-per-views on peacock and therefore getting someone like Roman Reigns more popularity
0: for sure um CM Punk we don't see a lot of clarity, at least at, least at this level, level of granularity here. We see some spikes around the time of his debut in AEW, which, by the way, is well below the spikes that we saw at certain moments. Uh, I think this is this big spike right here that I'm pointing to with my mouse is, I believe, his exit from WWE. <laughs> maybe, maybe, uh, maybe that's even like the Cabana podcast. I don't know. And I think this big spike back here is the 2011 Money in the Bank moment. Uh, these are monthly data points we would be looking at here. Um, and to briefly look at YouTube... We see a, a positive increase in, in the top five YouTube view uh, videos for SmackDown. Uh, maybe an increase, maybe not for Raw. Uh, an increase, somewhat in YouTube for NXT. Uh, an increase in the last few weeks, anyway, uh, for for Dynamite, and uh, an increase in the last several weeks, maybe for AEW. Um, if if you believe, I. I I I do, I tentatively do, cautiously do believe that there's been an increase in popularity for W over the last two months. Um, And I definitely believe that there's been a stabilization in the decline in W's popularity that has been precipitous from 2017 and onward. Why is it happening? Is it just Roman Reigns, the needle mover, um, being booked as strongly as he's being booked? I don't know. I I think it has more to do with with Peacock, though. And if we look at... um, other moments in history in recent times, I think the W Network had a lot to do with a thing that's really underanalyzed. I don't think it, almost anybody, is there anybody out there who, who talks frequently about how W had this increase in popularity from 2014 to 2016? I, I see it as evident here. Um, maybe not so much in, in viewership, although 2014, Raw, at least didn't decline more than 1% year-over-year in 2014, the year that the W Network launched in February 2014. Um, And from 2014, really back back starting in 2012, but merchandise sales grew, both at the venue and online. Uh, From 2014 onward, peaking into 2017, product licensing, which includes things like video games and action figures and trading cards and various other categories of product licensing, that grew which is driven by sales, that grew from 2014 to 2015 to 2016 to 2017. And live event attendance, paid attendance, grew from 2012 to 2013 to 2014 to 2015 to 2016 to 2017, every year, higher and higher. Uh, That's both in terms of total viewership in the entire year, or total attendance in the entire year, and average attendance in the entire year, and... This is why I think Google web search, Google trends are meaningful to look at over long periods of time. We see a similar trend in web search for WWE, both in the US and worldwide, going from 2013 to 2016. Um, Coinciding with the emergence of new big stars, maybe The Shield, maybe Roman Reigns, maybe. But I think more than anything, um, it was... The w network. Um and uh you know people talk about how stars are draws, and certainly they they can be. They they were, maybe they still are. Uh I think some people, perhaps including Chris Gullo, have have argued that the brand is the draw. Nothing matters anymore. The stars don't matter. I'm bastardizing any any some some point that you may have been making. But I don't know if if the the, the brand, there's there's truth to these things. There's truth to these things. But Maybe there's something else that's happening here. And maybe it's um, there's supposed to be distribution here. But I think, I think Peacock is the thing that's coinciding with this now. Um, you have the W network, which, which back here we could see the W network launch coincided with an increase in various metrics. And now we're seeing Peacock furthering the distribution of pay-per-view events, the peak content again, coinciding with the increase in various other categories, right or wrong.
3: I mean, I'm, I, it's hard for me to argue against all that data. I think I've become a believer definitely in what you have laid out in the past, which is the WWE network, really increasing, you know, people's access to the pay-per-view events, which increased investment. I think there's a lot of trends that suggest Peacock is doing the same thing. Um, and Peacock is really a minor streaming platform it's definitely far below things like netflix and disney plus and it does make you wonder that if wwe were to ever get on or perhaps another wrestling company were to ever get on either of those platforms would they see an incredible increase in business um even if they don't necessarily have that you know the next stone gold steve austin on the roster
0: yeah. We've seen some relatively minor wrestling companies on Netflix, right? Lucha Underground was on Netflix for a minute. Um, there's, there's, uh, wasn't there something associated with Ring of Honor? Mm-hmm. Well, we've seen UFC be, have see a big increase on ESP, since it's been on ESPN mm-hmm.
3: and ESPN+. Plus. And in that ES, in UFC's business has gone up despite the fact that I think, in a lot of people's opinion, their star power has declined. Some of their biggest box office stars are either fighting less or not fighting at all. And yet, UFC is really hot when it comes to selling pay per views and selling live event tickets and things like that. And I think a lot of that goes with being with ESPN. That's kind of a different animal because ESPN is, on one hand, a network and a, and a platform, but it is also a media machine that hypes up its own products and things like that. But I think we've seen plenty of, you know, Formula One, obviously, being the big example. Plenty of companies see in sports products, see
0: their business grow because they get uh,
3: platformed on these streaming networks and things like that.
0: And to, to put it into some tangible numbers, um, the W Network in the United States, and Peacock is only in the United States, W Network in the United States, uh, worldwide, they peaked out at about one and a half million. But in the U.S., that was about 1.1 million, maybe 1.2 at the absolute height. So 1.2 million homes, direct-to-consumer, in the United States subscribed to W Network. Um, as of their last report, Comcast said that Peacock had 13 million subscribers. Now, that doesn't mean that people are watching. I high, you know, I'm, I'm sure that people are not watching W content on Peacock to, to the rate that people are watching W content on. Uh, who had it in their homes uh, when, when they were direct subscribers. But it inc- at least increases the number of people who have access to it, which has, according to WWE, has increased the number of people who are actually watching it, where they give us these these percentage year-over-year differences for the particular pay-per-views, right, uh, which are now getting smaller. So this this benefit that, that I'm arguing is happening here for WWE, because of their being on Peacock, uh, that, that benefit, which is still a benefit, is getting smaller over time. Uh, SummerSlam was only up twenty percent this year versus last year, uh, as opposed to WrestleMania. I believe they have said was up sixty percent. I've heard people Isn't talk it? about these these percentage differences in the term in the terms that like well you can't judge that WWE's being more popular because of these these you know percentage differences in Peacock because obviously there's more subscribers to Peacock. But yes, but but Peacock is the reason why you're seeing all these other things. Go ahead.
1: Oh, I was
3: just gonna say when you're talking about like year-over-year increases, we're now getting to a point like WrestleMania was up a ton year-over-year. Well, a part of that was because WrestleMania was in front of a you know a, a tiny audience essentially uh, because we were still in the pandemic in that sense. SummerSlam up less. Well, SummerSlam was a huge show. Uh, in 2021, it was a stadium show in Las Vegas that drew very well, and so it's not does that you when it comes to the year over year. In addition to comparing like P, an event on Peacock from 2021 to an event on Peacock in 2022, we're now at the point where we're we're a year at least a year plus removed from the return of like live touring the way we
0: know it. And Peacock probably had something like eight million paid subscribers at that time, seven million maybe something like that. I believe the first time they revealed this, they had something like nine million, mm-hmm. and now. They have 13 million.
3: Well, you also have have the people like the Comcast customers that are getting it for free. I don't know if they're counted as the paid buyers, but they're people who have access to it.
0: Yeah, I don't know if they're counted as paid, but they they, they give two metrics. They give paid subscribers, which is 13 million, and then they give monthly active accounts, which is 24 million. Both of those numbers from quarter to quarter uh, in Q2 were the same as they were in Q1. So that growth for Peacock in terms of consumption engagement seems to have flattened. Right. Because those numbers, they were growing and growing because is a new service. And now they flattened at least from one quarter to the next in the most two recent quarters.
3: Yeah. Well, if I recall correctly, I think part of the analysis on that was that in quarter one, um, I don't know, was the Super Bowl on Peacock this year? Yes. So quarter one, you have Peacock uh, has the Super Bowl, obviously biggest event in American television by a enormous margin. And they also had a lot of Winter Olympics coverage. So you had a lot of people who were subscribing to it in quarter one for these two massive, huge events.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Quarter two, you maybe... maybe you I guess maybe you don't expect to see uh, growth a, a, because a you had... one in Q1 that does right. not exist. Right. In Q2. And, and so even remaining flat is maybe not as disastrous as people would think because you don't have... The two, these two massive events that you're getting people uh, subscribed up for
0: mm-hmm. uh, okay um what else did I have here that's all I have anybody anybody want want to add anything else or bring anything else well,
2: up well we got some super chats so yeah. we'll uh we'll get into that. Uh, some interesting ones I've I uh, well, seen one already well one interesting one I would say uh Timby. <laughs> I'm tired of Brandon pushing Gullo down our throats. Sure, Jesse is here this week. But we'll be back to catering once Brandon is done with his new toy.
0: Well, I think Tim B is just a a part of the vocal minority. And really, this causes controversy for WrestleNomics. And that's good for WrestleNomics. Really, all this is 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 just, you know, the babyface did not win. Santa Claus didn't come for that pay-per-view or for that podcast episode. So uh, that's just a vocal minority. And we we really, we, we, we hate those people, actually, the vocal minority. Timby's going to keep listening. Let's be honest. Him and his friend Mark are going to keep listening. <laughs> <laughs> those people are going to complain week in and week out, but I know that those same people are going to be the same people who are going to be glued to the TV set next week.
2: Anyway, thanks, Timby. Uh And then uh, we just... Uh, more of a sticker than a uh, super chat here, but we got a super sticker from uh sending us uh, good vibes. Uh, so. Okay.
0: Anything else? I want to talk about, all oh, I ahead.
3: wanted to talk briefly about the Toronto show. Yeah. the Toronto shows. So we talked about live touring before the AW about, Toronto shows or the W Toronto. Shows? Uh, all of them. So okay. for starters, one thing I want to point about the AW Toronto shows is that they're running the Coca-Cola Coliseum, which is the B venue Mm-hmm. In Toronto, really, it's like the C venue. If you consider, I, I've
0: been to some shows at the Rico Coliseum, or they call it the Coca Cola Coliseum. Yeah, um it's it's where Toronto does house shows. It's where they did the like the Roadblock Network special that I went to in 2016. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, it's it's what it's what, what would you what would you say like it's like a 10,000 seat arena for hockey or basketball as opposed to like an 18,000 seat arena, yeah.
2: right? Right. It's an AHL uh, stadium, so yeah, so for- the minor league hockey. Yeah. For so wrestling, I,
0: I would think eight nine thousand max. Right, and that's what we seem to, to be
3: set up for. So, if you were touring in Toronto, you have your two regular options would be, like you said, the the Coca Cola Coliseum or the former RICO Coliseum, or the Scotia Bank Arena, the former Air Canada Center, which is where the Raptors and the Maple Leafs play, which is the A Arena in town.
0: Um, or the so Sky Dome. The Sky Dome would be the VA A Arena right in the the. You know, the, I'm using all the old names. The I use ACC.
3: Yeah, the sky, it will, I agree that I think it should always be the Sky Dome. It's an infinitely better name than the Rogers Center. But regardless, they're running... Let's So AEW is running the smaller venue, which they easily sold out for Dynamite. I think are close to sold out for Rampage. I don't know if they're totally sold out for Rampage yet. But there's been a lot of speculation, which is why did they run the smaller building? Why didn't they run Scotiabank when they easily could have drawn... 14,000 people to Scotiabank, which is what WWE had just drew this Monday. Uh, you can see that on the bottom line, tikka, uh
0: that we have here. Uh, why didn't they run a pay-per-view? Why didn't they run... Sure. Um, I guess maybe they want to make Double or Nothing in the Las Vegas tradition. Maybe they want to make All Out of Chicago tradition. Well, why not Full Gear uh, for Toronto?
3: Well, I think it... First of all, I think it behooves them to have their pay-per-views roaming. I, I can see All Out being... Uh, a reg- like a regular tradition in Chicago because of the history that's kind of been established there. I really double or nothing. Sure. If you can draw big in Las Vegas every year, do it. But I I think you only have four pay-per-views and you have a lot of big markets. You can serve with them. Uh, but I, my, my, my take here is that they're taping dynamite and rampage separately. So yes, they could have drawn 14,000 people at the Scotiabank. But would you have been able to draw 14,000 people on a Wednesday night and a Friday night? I would say no, because they already haven't sold out the Rampage tickets. It's also perhaps more expensive to rent out the Scotiabank Arena two nights in a row or even one night. I don't know the difference in in price, but I assume the Scotiabank is much more expensive than the Coca-Cola Coliseum, which is why WWE often runs the Coca-Cola Coliseum so when Adams. you're looking at well, we don't know could, could they even get into the Scotiabankers could they even get into locked it locked up right and there was I know Scotiabank I think had an event the, the week the week that WW, uh, AEW is running in Toronto obviously they didn't have to run Toronto that week they could run it at a different time but to me this all the explanation is that the Coca-Cola Coliseum is cheaper and you're gonna end up with the same amount of tickets sold as you would if you were just doing one show at the Scotiabank you're going to end up with 14,000 tickets sold. It's just going to be spread out over two nights, which is probably better for you if you're thinking about things like per cap and, and, and perhaps selling more merchandise on two separate nights instead of just one. Um, and so to me, there's not really that big a difference, especially if you factor in that they perhaps got the Coca-Cola Coliseum for a cheaper price than they would have been able to get the Scotiabank. So it's all about if we're, if we're, what we're really concerned about here is how much money AEW can make. I think there's a decent amount of logic that could be put forward to why they are running a smaller venue than the Scotiabank.
0: I think there's something to be said for let's say they had run a pay per view, and let's say they could get access to the Scotiabank. Uh I don't know about the Sky Dome, that's shooting pretty high. But but the the biggest hockey arena, NBA arena. Um A pay per view with the Skydome, I think, would be would work. Maybe. Okay. In, in, in any case, maybe it's that, or maybe it's just Scotiabank, and, you, and you've got this huge sellout crowd. Um, I think there's something to be said for the value in that as a branding event, beyond the immediate return that you get from sales, from ticket sales and merchandise sales, and pay per view buys, or even. Um, but that's, you know, I, I think AEW has already had moments like that, in, including. I think that that Arthur Ashe show that they did last year was a huge branding event. There was value in that show to AEW in terms of perception, in terms of public relations, in terms of fan perception, because they put nearly 20,000 people or whatever it was in in this tennis stadium in New York City. Um, Maybe that, maybe Newark, and maybe UBS Arena in in, um, Long Island, right? On Long Island, Brandon. In Long Long Island. Island. In Elmont, as I learned in the research for this, this episode today. Um, I think those two, to a lesser extent, were branding events for them. Maybe United Center. Anyway, um, I think there's a lot of value that's hard to measure when you do things like that. That, that's, that may be being missed out here by doing two shows in, in the venue where W runs their house shows. Well,
3: Dave's new obsession is uh, optics on television and how big your crowd is in running stadium shows and the kind of benefit that that brings to your product and how WWE has benefited greatly from things like The SummerSlam show, which you can say, okay, they half-filled a stadium and it's kind of absurd that they only filled up half of a side and they only could shoot the show from one side because they couldn't show the other side. But at the end of the day, it's a massive stadium and it makes WWE look like this huge, successful enterprise. And AEW
0: hasn't necessarily capitalized on that. And we're about to see uh, next weekend, WWE go to Cardiff um, and put... Probably more than what what, I don't know what the Russell ticks latest is, but more than 50,000, I believe, maybe more like 60,000 people. (laughs) Depends on what you're using. So I actually had a question about that for for you, Brandon. Um,
3: So I've seen the last number I saw was 65,000 tickets distributed out for the Cardiff show. Dave and the Observer said that it was roughly 48,000 paid and 18,000 comps. Does that comp number seem like super high to you? How is that compared to WrestleMania shows of similar crowd size? Because almost 20,000 comps seems like a huge number to me. 18 comps? 18,000 comps.
0: Right. And how many paid?
3: 48,000.
0: So 18 plus 48 is 66. So 18 out of 66 is 27%. Uh, I, I would think 5 to 10% is normal for any event. Um, to, to to be quick here, yeah, that would be that would be a huge comp rate if that's true. Um, what did I? I have a thing that because I, I just did this report that people can see on wrestleomics.com about what the WrestleMania attendance was like, and WrestleMania WrestleTix tells us about sixty five thousand out for each day, and I found based on various assumptions, looking at WWE's financial reporting. That I think what do I think for for the for the average attendance across two days? I think about hundred and fifteen thousand. So that's that's what? That's about hundred and sixty five plus sixty five is one hundred and thirty minus about hundred and fifteen. That's fifteen out of hundred and thirty, that's about twelve percent. So yeah. But some of those well, are the same that's two nights, that's some of the same people are getting comps, Right. Yeah, number two. But, I, I, but I imagine that's I think, 10%, maybe.
3: Yeah, the, I mean, that number seemed really high to me. I don't know how, like, again, don't know if it's accurate or not. I would somewhat trust that it relatively is. I, I don't know who the those 18,000 people getting comps are. Are they all business partners? Are they friends and family from Europe? I, I'd be curious to know. It just seemed like a really high number, and it'll be very interesting to see what they announced that number for that Cardiff show is because
0: the announced number for the... What's the, what's the announced number for SummerSlam 92? Uh, somebody want to Google that real quick? I'm Googling something else. Um, 78,000 or 79,000 something? 72,000? Somewhere in the 70s, I believe, is what they announced in, at SummerSlam. Is it?
3: Uh, WWE's announced number is 80,355. So my oh. guess would be, would be that they're going to announce
0: a bigger figure than that. Um, I want to say Nikon, I'm looking at the transcript right now. I want to say Nikon made a comment about how many tickets were sold. Yes. He said over 45,000 tickets have been sold for that event. Is that what Dave is maybe deducing there? Just based on Nikon's comment that 45,000, this is the earnings call on August 16th, I believe. Dave didn't have, he
3: definitely had 48,000 in the, um, or maybe it was okay. 49,000. It was almost 50,000. It wasn't 45 in the Observer. I don't remember the exact number. So
0: I don't know that specifically. But um, but on, but on August 16th, right? I, th- I think that's the day that, that W did their earnings call. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, yeah. And
3: Russell Tix was- had it at 65,000 fans. And if you remember, this is at a very atypical kind of um, pattern, right? Where the tickets for the show were originally very disappointing because and they were extremely high and i believe they've really cut prices as you've gotten closer to the state and they've moved a lot more tickets i think because of that i remember the tickets were extremely high like much higher than wrestlemania ticket prices and so the to- the gate i'm sure is going to be enormous for this show um yeah. even by you know wwe stadium show standards and uh i just I, I, the ticket the the, bat, the pattern of buying these tickets has been very uh Atypical, I think, than than a lot of shows that they do have.
0: I I would be interested to ask somebody who knows how dynamic pricing has changed. It seems like the prices are throughout the ticketing industry, throughout the live events industry, that there's a lot prices for events are changing. Um, comes to mind too. I was just looking at all out tickets, which have gone to. You couldn't buy any more single tickets for just All Out anymore. They've changed that. Now you can. They wanted you to buy all three nights uh, in Chicago or in Hoffman Estates. Um, and I was looking at the, the ticket prices. The cheapest ticket on Ticketmaster this morning for All Out is $80, which is pretty high. right? And I was thinking, well, well like, what's their average ticket price? Maybe it's like $125 off of like 9000 or something like that. That, that. that would be pricing it for a for million-dollar gate. In a, whatever that they hold their nine thousand for that venue for the pay per view, so that that makes sense if if that's what they're they're pricing it at to get another million dollar gate for a pay per view. What are you smiling about,
2: Gull? <laughs> There's Something going on in the chat. So uh, I did lay back for a second to stretch out my legs because. Brandon knows me. I have very nervous energy. I have to pace and always move my legs and keep the blood flowing. And now it's speculating that I'm just laying back and not doing any hard work (laughs) and letting you guys do the heavy lifting in the chat. Um, We do have another super chat if you want to talk about that. Uh, I don't know if this is the Primo Cologne, but uh, Primo Cologne asks us, uh, there seems to be some growth in the P50+. plus. Demo for dynamite in the last two months. That's above the average 0.38. With the 18 to 49 down a bit, has the older demo been what's keeping them above 900,000?
0: I'm gonna put a put a spread or put a chart into the the slide that we can look at. It's relevant to that. um That does look like a positive trend there in the last at least three weeks, right? Where it's a little bit higher, a little bit higher, a little bit higher. We're looking at P fifty plus here. Um, is that what's what was the specific question? Is is that what's keeping it above nine hundred thousand? I would have to do the math. Um, it could be um, to the extent that that matters, which I think it matters somewhat. We're talking about whatever age the viewer is that that viewer is attached to a paying um, to a paying sub for cable, which is supporting. At least supporting TNT and TBS, which which are driven more so by uh, by subscriber fees uh, than they are ad revenue, uh, as opposed to Discovery's incumbent networks. Um, I would have to do the math, which which would which would mean I would have to like bust out the universe estimate. Um, but uh, any, if you have any thoughts about that, I'll try to do that quickly. Unless Primo
3: Cologne relocated to the UK, I don't think that's him.
0: So Was he suddenly using the pound pound nine dollars pounds sterling as he would say well maybe he's just, he just feels like giving us some 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 uh great britain pounds um aw dynamite's p50 plus did about five hundred and twenty five thousand viewers over the age of 50 50 or older um which was what in the weeks prior i don't know see this was i would have to do some math and it was probably more people for a while i'll tweet it later i'll tweet it later maybe but i do have to get on a plane in a minute But but yeah um I would think if it's just over... I mean, they did hit a million. What, what did they do in the weeks before that, though? Um, Let's see here. How are we doing in the minute by minutes? Are people t- tuning out as I'm thinking and doing math here? No, we, uh, have, uh, we have stuck at a standard 59 for a while. Okay, so 957,000 was the total viewership the week before this one. Um, and... It might be, yeah. I mean, especially if you go back to August 3rd, where they only had 938. And that is roughly where the P50 Plus starts to increase. Um, But as far as we can tell, AW still says that they care about, I mean, as of, let's say Tony Khan... Mentioned the demo issue in a press conference or an interview recently, and said something to the effect of the networks tell them that they should focus on some other demo, to focus on some other demo. Um, but again, in the, in the overall TV economy, I think any viewer does matter somewhat, but, but the demo or the younger audience are a signal of you know, they're, they're, they're telling you where TV's going to go. So I think it, it is more important than the, than the older audience. And it's definitely more valuable, in immediate terms. In immediate terms, in terms of add value. So anyway.
2: Anything else? That's all we got here.
0: I'm not getting on W's private jet. That's only for Johnny Graciano. I've heard. Um, yeah, the
3: the private jet was chartered by somebody with the last name Khan. Was it? No, no,
0: no. I'm flying Delta. Flying Delta. So uh, I have to go to New York to uh, participate in an interview for a documentary. Uh, So I'll be back, though, by Wednesday. Maybe we'll do another special bonus audio. Maybe. Um, And maybe I'll go to Chicago if I don't decide that I hate travel by the middle of the week. We'll see. Um, Anything to plug?
2: Just you, yeah, why don't you uh, plug away?
3: I haven't really done anything over the, recently. Uh, last week on the uh, my podcast, Gentlemen's Wrestling podcast on YouTube, I had uh, Joe Lanza from the flagship podcast. We did a it's getting rave reviews. It's actually our most listened to episode. Um, we talked a lot about Paul Heyman and kind of the legacy of Paul Heyman and kind of comparing and contrasting his, you know. 90s ECW innovative ways uh, days with the more recent history of him kind of becoming this manager of top stars and how he's kind of insulated and secured himself in WWE after years of of getting fired and never really understanding how to play ball in that company. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the you, People can find that on YouTube. It's Gentleman's Wrestling Podcast. Uh, everything else, just follow me on Twitter at Jesse Callings uh, at J E S S E. C O L L I N G S and Opus. We don't have not all listeners are watching the video and staring at my name for the entire time. So for all our audio listeners, that's how yes. you can find me. Yes.
2: Golo. Yeah, uh rediscovering the Indies. We'll have a new episode out this week. Uh, we'll be talking about a protege of Paul Heyman, Gabe Sapolsky, uh, with our part two in our Dragon Gate USA. And uh we covered the formation in the first episode uh the first show uh, on our first episode. This part, we're going to obviously talk about uh, the company's history and kind of when Evolve gets in, into the picture and all that and what happens to Dragon Gate USA. So be on Rediscovery Indies this week. Uh, check me out, Chris Gello, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and uh, get your Bowtie Mafia t shirts on Pro Wrestling Tees.
0: Yes. Please hit the thumbs up button. Like, share, and subscribe this on YouTube, on your favorite podcast app. Give us a nice rating if you liked the podcast today. There's always patreon.com slash WrestleNomics, which is how you can best support WrestleNomics. And you can get access to the TV ratings reports that I write nearly every day. You get access to the WrestleNomics viewership spreadsheet, which is where some of the data that we were looking at today came from. You get access to all the slides for our podcasts, including this one. These slides right here that we're looking at on YouTube, uh, you get access to the Pro Wrestling Industry Reports for 2019, 2020, 2021, and any additional reporting and analysis that I do. As Bless you. Bless you back there.
2: That, that was my wife. I can't believe you can hear that that far away. She's in a whole nother room.
0: Okay. Thanks, everybody, for listening, for tuning in, supporting. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you next time.